is Off the Record, the weekly KOTO public affairs show that offers you, the listener, an opportunity to hear in-depth conversations on community topics and issues that matter. As always, you are encouraged to join the conversation by calling 728-4333. Now here's your host. Yes, I will be your host this evening, Gavin McGough. Thank you for joining us um, for our Off the Record show this evening. I hope you're as excited as I am to learn in this next hour because we are talking about solar microgrids and um, how they could change the landscape of our energy future. So we'll dig into what exactly makes something a microgrid in a moment. Um as I'm sure I could learn that as well. But first, let me introduce our guests who uh, are joining me in studio this evening. Um, we'll start over there across the room. Usually I, usually I go right to my left here, but we'll start with Terry Schuyler, who has worked for quite a few years with the San Miguel Power Association, um, but before that has a career's worth of knowledge in solar energy, as I understand. Um, and is kind of consulting on area microgrid projects. Terry, you're from Ridgeway, is that right? That's correct. Um, all right, say say hi to our Coda listeners. <clears throat> hi, Coda listeners. <laughs> Welcome. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you. Uh, we've got Angela Haas, uh, as I understand, is a decorated mountaineer and mountain guide, so that's really cool. Um, she's also an advocate and an athlete with Protect Our Winters, which is an organization that leverages recreation concerns to create climate action. Angela, thank you for coming on this evening. Thanks, Gavin. Stoked to be here. Welcome. Um, Alex Shelley is the communications executive with the San Miguel Power Association, or SMPA. If you're a frequent Kodo listener, you've surely heard him on our news before. Um, he keeps us updated and current with all things power. So uh, thank you, Alex, and welcome um, to a live segment. Thank you, Gavin. It's great to be here. Yeah. Usually when we do a phone interview, you can mince words, right? But, <laughs> but This is live. Not here. No, no hiding. Pressure's on. <laughs> um, last but not least, well, actually, there are two of you. Kendra, because you were li- last minute edition, I didn't write you a full intro, but I will. Um, s- I'll spin a yarn. Um, yeah, Kendra Held is the, um, climate action coordinator, uh, OTR, um, uh, organizer extraordinaire. Um, she has her hands in all pots of environmental honey here in, um, the San Juan. So we're super glad, um, to have her with us. Kendra, how is that? And say hi to our Coda listeners. Hi, Coda listeners. Cool. Uh, we've also got Kim Wheels. She's an energy specialist and consultant with EcoAction Partners, a longtime OFER resident. Uh, Wheels has worked on, like, what, every climate action plan in the region? <laughs> there are a lot of them. Um, so we're super honored and excited to have her with us this evening. Um, Kim, say hi to our Coda listeners. Hello, everyone. Thank you, Gavin. Thanks, Coda. Cool. Um, All right. Remember that you too can join the conversation. Just give us a call at 970-728-4333. 
And um, I guess let's dive in with the basics, which is kind of definition. Um, what is a solar grid? What does it entail? Um, have folks like seen one? Uh, how do you recognize a solar microgrid? So, Gavin, I might take that one. Uh, I drove up here with Terry and, and um, we, we thought that that question might come up. So we went ahead and printed out the textbook definition. It's actually from, uh, from the DOLA program. The, from, from the department uh, from DOLA on uh, what a microgrid is. It's a long definition. So I thought I might read it, okay. and then we can sort of dive into the individual parts of it, if that makes sense. Cool. And DOLA, this is Colorado DOLA? That's right. Department of... Local, local Affairs. Department of Local Affairs. All right. Cool. So, all right. <clears throat> Everybody, settle in. Here's the definition of a microgrid. It is defined as a group of interconnected electric loads and distributed energy resources with clearly defined electrical boundaries that can function as a single controllable entity with respect to the electric grid. Therefore, a microgrid can be connected to or disconnected from the electric grid in, to enable it to operate in either grid-connected mode or in island mode. So... Island mode sounds nice. <laughs> kind of cool, right? <laughs> that caught my attention. <laughs> I love that term. It gives you this idea of you're on this island, there's a hammock and a palm tree. Sunny. Yeah. Little umbrella drinks. So, yeah, yeah. It's in island mode. Um, of course, what's meant there is in case the grid is not providing energy for whatever reason, um, and there are plenty of them, this microgrid, which is, as it says, electric, electrically kind of isolated at that point, can operate on its own. So if it had something like a battery that's part of that microgrid, it can provide power to those associated loads, electrical loads, by itself, as though it were its own little island. Very similar to a typical off-grid solar system. Yeah. And we have, so the other part of your question was, um, are, where are these things? Is, are there any of these in existence that we can uh, see? And, and in fact, um, you've got one operating uh, very close to here, uh, actually at the sheriff's office on Ilium. And uh, that project was completed in 2022, uh, along with the sheriff's annex there in Norwood. And they have two separate microgrid systems that will back up. I believe they, they, they do have a um, generator, a traditional generator. Um, and so it is additional redundancy that layers on top of that generator to make sure that critical loads that the sheriff's department defined never go out of power. Hmm. And that was the whole, that resiliency um, is what brought them kind of to us. And um, they, the sheriff's office asked us to, uh, to provide consulting, technical consulting on that. And I believe we also uh, helped to get money. Um, yeah, we, we supported their grant from DOLA again. So, do, <coughs> excuse me, DOLA provided some grant funding to help support the um, 
acquisition and installation of that microgrid. Yeah. There's actually one even closer than that, uh, and it's oh, not, not, not known to many people, <laughs> but the solar systems that you see being installed on the Telluride School just down the road from here is, in fact, a microgrid. It has battery backup, so that will provide resilience to certain loads, certain circuits, if the power goes out, so the battery will feed those loads, pick up those loads, and the solar can act as another source of recharge. And then with pending time of use, rate, use rates, which are in our future in the next year or two, uh, the battery bank can actually take that excess solar, and rather than dumping it onto the grid during the day when it's going to be least valuable, it can dispatch that solar energy to power loads at night. So the battery bank serves both the purpose of self-consuming the excess solar as well as acting as resiliency for power outages. So that's actually the solar system on that on the Telluride School is larger than two of our community solar system. So it's a pretty, pretty big system, 375 kilowatts. Hmm. So, well, you know, examples all over the place of, of successful microgrids. And um, so we, we talked about how these can, you know, in the event of an outage, they can power um, their, their purview, their building, their area, whatever that is. Um, and then during normal times, are they just sending energy back into the broader grid? The solar systems are designed to be line-tied, meaning that like a net-metered system, in the case of the school, as well as the sheriff's office, the solar is generated during the day. They consume as much of that solar power as their loads can handle. The excess goes back, spins their meter backwards. They get net-metered credit for that. Meanwhile, the battery bank is sitting fat and happy, as I like to call it, so it's fully charged. If an outage occurs, the battery bank picks up, in the case of the sheriff's office, mission-critical loads, which are the dispatch center, uh, oddly enough, the locks on the jail cells, which is a good thing during a power outage. Uh, and then um, in the case of the school, it's got a set of dedicated loads that the battery would back up, potentially creating uh, the school as a, um, a resilience hub or, or an emergency shelter in the case of an outage. So many of the critical loads in the school will be powered by the battery bank. If the outage occurs during the day, the solar, which would normally connect to the grid, now serves to recharge the battery, extending the amount of coverage that the battery is capable of providing. There's also um, kind of, a, I have a curiosity about scale, you know, so how how big could a microgrid get? Because you could power a lot more than just um, a building, it seems, if you had a rather enormous battery. Well, that's the focus of our community microgrid program. So DOLA has a program called Microgrid for Community Resilience, and we applied for four separate planning grants. One would be to put a microgrid at the end of a radial feeder to power the entire town of Rico, in the case of an outage, for about four hours, as well in, in Ofer. So we're looking at the planning around a microgrid for Ofer. Likewise in Ridgeway. And then we have two separate smaller microgrids that we're looking at to power the uh, outage communications at both of SMPA's offices, one in Ridgeway and one in Nucla. So we actually received grant money to explore the feasibility of four separate microgrids. Likewise, we those worked, are yeah, those are from the state. Yeah. There's also there's also the uh, OCED grant, the federal grant that um, that we access for the town of Silverton. That's right, and that goes uh, along with their um, Compass Master Plan and what they've come to call the the gold project gold which is goal of less dependency uh, which i think is a very cool uh, term that that kind of explains what those folks are after when do you all um first recall hearing about a microgrid when did that term um, come into the lexicon of um, energy and solar expertise 
Well, it's a bit of a new use of the term. What we had described as an off-grid solar system during an outage used to just be called an off-grid solar system with uh, batteries to back it up. The term microgrids were first applied as a, um, a focal point during Hurricane Sandy on the East Coast when the hurricane knocked down uh, telephone poles, not telephone poles, utility poles throughout the communities. And that prevented traffic to some of the local military bases. And the military bases could not receive fuel delivery and ran out of fuel and their backup generators went dead. And the Department of Energy got pretty upset by that and then required that um, DOD facilities have a minimum of 72 hours worth of fuel. That then led to the concept of looking at applying local generation via solar and batteries, and they pretty much popularized the term microgrid back during Hurricane Sandy. And since then, it's been applied to a number of different applications, but essentially it's the definition that Alex read is the primary definition, which is a series of independent energy-generating resources, most often renewables, could be wind, could be solar, could even be uh, fossil fuel generators, combined with a battery bank that allows that the load or the facility to operate independent of the grid during an outage. So that's the general accepted definition of a microgrid. And it's, it's happening all over the country. Uh, the state of Colorado is being pretty progressive having come up with this uh, this fund, this, uh, pro this program called Microgrids for Community Resilience, and SMPA, we decided to, to capitalize on it. Hmm. Um, yeah, so kind of on that note, one reason we're having this conversation now is um, federal dollars have made these projects super viable. Um, would one of you be uh, up for addressing just uh, kind of this funding background and why, where these federal monies are, are trickling down from? So the, you know, the, the access to this kind of, this extra funding um, comes down from, at the local level, it's, it's DOLA, as we mentioned, the Department of, of Local Affairs. Um, and, you know, it's for What's that? So there's two federal bills that were passed. One is the IIJA, which is the the uh, bipartisan infrastructure bill, and that created a lot of funding for the microgrid support as well as renewables in general. And then the second is the IRA bill, which was the uh, Inflation Reduction Act, and that's really the larger pot of money that's being um, apportioned both to states and directly to uh, utilities and consumers. Uh, for looking at all things renewable, electric vehicle support. Um, basically, it's those two major bills passed during the recent administration that are the source of the, the federal funding for this. Um, will you all talk a little bit about kind of the how the partnerships between EcoAction, SMPA, and other area groups are working um, in our region and on that note, do you all feel like you're sort of at the forefront of this microgrid um, enthusiasm, or is this a national trend that we're just observing here in the San Juans? So I, I certainly feel like we're we're at the forefront, um, but obviously this is not the kind of thing that can be done by any one organization or one institution. It's a partnership, and so that's why we're we're thrilled to be part of EcoAction Partners, and I'll let uh, one of you ladies talk a little bit about what is EcoAction and and uh, how have you gathered people together for climate action? 
So Eco Action Partners was founded in January of 2007. So we've been around for, if I make it 16 years now, if I'm doing the math correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, trying to remember how long I've been mm-hmm. in the area. That's how I do that math. Um, and we are the regional sustainability nonprofit organization um, focusing on all things sustainability. One of the areas that we focus on is related to renewable energy and energy efficiency, um, and that's kind of where these fall into play. Is um, And so we have worked for a long time in partner, partnering with San Miguel Power Association and working to be the, um, to help engage the community, engage our government partners across the region, and our region is Ure County, San Miguel County, and San Juan County now. Um, and engaging the community in understanding what we're working on, getting their input, um, and really developing our climate action plans around what the community is looking for and the goals related to um, climate resilience and reducing greenhouse gas emissions. Is that? I think that sounds good. I think that's yeah, <laughs> a pretty good nutshell. <laughs> and so we've been working on expanding our partnerships quite a lot the last few years. Um, Protect Our Winners is one of our most recent partners in engaging the community. They have a lot of experience with that. Um, we work with all of the governments across the entire region, um, as well as other community organizations as well. And uh, in terms of microgrids, what um, sort of conversations have you been having both with each other and with communities you've been reaching out to? Um, I would say that they've been initiated around these um, microgrid grants um, in the communities of Ofer, Rico, um, Ridgeway, um, and then also Silverton with the... um, the Department of Energy award to let people know what a microgrid is, how a battery backup system helps with resilience in these communities that are at the end of the line for electricity. So we frequently experience more power outages than much of the rest of the region. Um, And how renewable energy can provide that power for the battery system and really help to reduce our greenhouse gas emissions as well. Right. So it's like an added incentive to green up um, the energy grid. Absolutely. Um, as well as on the you know the flip side of that, getting lessening the extreme impacts of um, winter storm outages, which are pretty common in these parts. Yes, and with climate change, it seems like they might become even more frequent hmm. and hard to predict. Harder to predict. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Angela, do you want to add something? Well, Kim and uh, and Terry have been very engaged with the Ridgeway uh, Sustainability Advisory Board, which I also wear a hat on that committee. And we um, are engaging with our community through a master planning process, deciding where we can put these uh, community microgrids. Uh, there's a lot of support for it, but there's also a lot of there's a big need for education and understanding how it works and why we should go in this direction and and that's one of the things that terry is really helping us with and kim has been involved at the state level uh, at a high level she's been giving us all kinds of great information on how we move forward as a small community that's interested in reducing and eliminating our greenhouse gas emissions to go net zero go ahead 
just to piggyback on that, I think um, some of the things that I'm thinking about in this conversation is that there are a lot of climate things that are out of our control. We don't have control for the most part over what other countries do, usually not over what other states do. And so I think our greatest agency is within our local and regional community and figuring out what actions make sense here. Um, we import a lot of our food and materials and we export our waste. That's a characteristic of um, rural and remote communities. And I think um, when it comes to energy, we do a very similar thing. We're importing energy from far away. That's really inefficient. And when that energy is being generated, it's impacting those communities with usually pollution from coal or natural gas um, power plants, um, which is not helpful. No one wants to live next to those plants. And I think that this is an opportunity for us to take these kind of big things that are out of our control and can feel really scary and nebulous um, and figure out, you know, what's within our agency, what's within our local power to, um, to shift. And so thinking about how do we generate our power locally? What does that look like? How does the landscape change um, as we do that? And how do we strengthen our communities and make them more resilient? As we know that there's going to be more natural disasters, more unpredictability with weather and climate events. Um, how do we prepare for those things instead of being five, 10, 20, six months down the line and saying, oh man, this thing is happening again. I really wish we had, you know, thought about this beforehand and, and found a way to prepare for it. So that's just something that I'm thinking about in this conversation a lot. And that's something that, that we here at the power company, um, you know, quite often, and it's, it's absolutely true. And I think the focus on uh, local action and local partnerships is well-founded. Um, there is a little bit of, of a silver lining when it comes to um, what we would call retail energy, just the regular energy that you're gonna, that you're buying, that you're paying for on your power bill. And that is that the trend is uh, away from... That's big grid energy? Yeah, just yeah. regular energy without any, without anything um, renewable plugged in uh, on our side. That energy that we purchase, for example, from our wholesaler, um, Tri-State, is at this point safely well above a third um, generated from large-scale renewable projects like wind and solar. Um, I think there's anticipation, I think they're very close, that Tri-State will announce um, that that power is likely to be half, half and half, which, I mean, considering where we were a decade ago, um, that's really tremendous progress on a large scale. And yeah, so even though that. we may not have the direct control, like you alluded to, um, things are moving in, in from a climate perspective. I think many would agree the right direction. And Alex, you mentioned the trend. The trend in the utility of the future is to not just look at the existing model of generating power far away from its use and then having to transmit it long distances, which cause lots of loss, lots of consumed land to, to, for easements for these large-scale you, you know, transmission lines that are so unsightly. The trend towards distributed generation, distributed energy, uh, is also part of the microgrid phenomena in that 
uh, you know, 5, 10, 15 years from now, you're going to see much more local generation rather than long-distance transmission of generation, which is going to provide greater reliability and, of course, uh, not require as much losses, which is generally made, you know, produced through fossil fuels. So local renewable generation, whether it be wind, solar, hydro, I think we have four hydro plants in the SMPA territory. Uh, this is a part of a long-term trend as well, which is to, to generate and distribute um, locally produced energy rather than producing it far away and then transmit transmitting it over long distances. And some of the public should know is that we're very fortunate to have the San Miguel Power Association as a small rural electric co-op. And that means that it is not a corporate entity that makes the decisions. We, the voters put the board of directors together on the ballot and we vote for who is on on the board and that influences the direction that we're going now it has influenced and it will into our future to help us be resilient and locally reliant on our own energy which we have an abundance of with the sun as we saw today may I chime in yeah of course um, one thing that working in this region for so long and with SMPA um, from renewable energy proponents in the region, I've heard quite a lot. Well, why don't we just break away from the grid and generate our own power here in Telluride or in whatever community people are in um, so that then we're not tied to any fossil fuels and we'll just do it all ourselves like other communities like Aspen. It's a much larger region over there with much more population and they have their own utility um, it's much 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 more difficult for us to do that type of thing over here we have the most difficult transmission lines to keep operational and maintained because of our um, topography and our mountains and how dangerous it is in a way over here um, as well as just we have that much less population base so what I see these microgrids as being and working with SMPA as being is an opportunity for our communities to essentially take control over where our power is being produced, take responsibility for where our power is being produced and benefit from the battery backup system and the efficiency of a microgrid being located right within each community and have them be being community sized. So it's not a gigantic one someplace way out there that isn't sized for the community it's near, but each microgrid is sized for the community that it's within. Right. It's like personalized pizza situation. <laughs> a little bit different. Um, and perhaps, you know, local, local production and local benefit um, from kind of the closed system or the miniature system of the microgrid would one might hope be an easier sell to communities um, something that we hear a lot when there's large-scale solar recommended or proposed in a community um, such as like in Norwood their residents um, voice a concern that there there is very little benefit to the community immediately um, just because the grid is such a beast that that energy impact seems to mitigate um, but the burden on the landscape is, is pretty clear. So anyway, just curious about that as a, um, as a selling point. You know, uh, just with the changing climate, 
like literally and figuratively. Uh, we just have to look at things differently. You know, we can't look at landscapes the same as we always have. We have to change our values somewhat as to where we put things that we need that provide us with what we need to be sustainable. And I get it. I don't, I'm a NIMBY as much as anybody else, not in back, my backyard. But when it comes to eliminating our the reliance on fossil fuels, the system we inherited, we just have to change the way we look at things. And we have to have an open mind moving forward to look at some of these things and the benefits that they're going to provide rather than the visual change that we're used to. But there is a clear distinction between these large-scale, <clears throat> excuse me, utility-scale solar system that was proposed in NORAD versus smaller community-scale systems that we're looking at with microgrids. The system in Norwood was going to be proposed by a commercial developer, a for-profit developer. All of that electricity generated in that community would have uh, interconnected to the transmission line and, as you said, would not necessarily provide direct distributed energy to the local communities. The microgrids are completely different than that in that they're designed by, by design to be only sized to power the community that they serve and therefore the footprint for them and the visual impact and all of the other things that might be objected to by you know various individuals or those that are close to it has to be put in context in a different way than the project that was proposed in Norwood which again is a massive utility scale solar system. There is a need for that and there is a proper location for that and uh, that's part of the debate that was occurring in, in Norwood. But just to be clear, that's the microgrids that we're looking at with the grant money from the state have nothing to do or nothing in common with that scale of a system. Right. Um, and ideally will be more tailor fit to the needs they serve and the space they occupy. Absolutely. Um, anyway, on that note, let's cut to a quick uh, musical break. You are tuned into Off the Record here on KOTO Telluride, and we are discussing microgrids. So stay tuned, and um, we'll be right back. Hey there, you're tuned into KOTO Telluride. Can you hear us? I can, yeah. I've got my radio off. Sounds great. Um, did you have a question about microgrids this evening? I, I do, I do. I got a question about the... Um, why is... Uh, first of all, is there a um, cap on the amount of square footage or power that could be generated on top of the school? And why is there a cap on private residences, why not do some thinking about a microgrid right down to the the small scale of a home, each single home? You've got caps on what each home can provide, only power for themselves. Why not allow homes to 
put on, without any caps, all the square footage of PV they can possibly stack on that roof and then have a little annuity for that homeowner if he's gone to the trouble putting in batteries and selling the power back to you, SMPA. Um, let him have a little profit. You would have to increase the trunk lines up to, say, the sunny side of the Telluride Valley and the Ophir Valley, and the trunk lines would go to each or be able to be strung to each house so that we could have power going back and forth over the limits that you've assigned for each house. In other words, what the power bill was estimated at. Like we can take care of our own needs. We've got global warming. Why not let us take care of more than our own needs? You see what I mean? All right. There's there's uh... anybody listening? <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's um, a great question. Could you address that, one of you guys from SMPA? Yeah, I think they're going to jump in now. I wrote you an now. email about six months ago, and I got back a field of crickets. So <laughs> I'd really like to hear the answer All to right. this. All right. Well, we've got it for you. Um, hang tight. And, uh, yeah. It, you know, it is I'll a great... I'll turn my radio back on. There you go. It, it is a great Thank concept. Um, and and it's one of those... Uh, you know, it's, it's cool that you've got... Uh, Listeners of Kodo who are who are thinking in kind of this advanced way. So a little background, a little perspective. A typical net meter house, the system that feeds that house, typically they're solar, um, is sized to meet the needs of that house. And over the course of a of a twelve month year, to sort of zero out. And that's um, that's what he's talking about. I believe is actually oversizing so that. Um, a home system could provide the the larger system, and so that's a complicated uh, soup. But I'll bring in uh, a little extra background, and then I'll hand it over to our consultant um, Terry and, and all of his um, technical expertise, and he can explain it to in greater detail. The other side of it is the microgrid concept, as we've seen, and the and the microgrid systems that we've spoken of already on this show. Um, are sized basically to be that island. They, in other words, they provide their own needs. Um, the projects that we're, that we're scoping right now for uh, Rico and Ofer and, and Ridgeway, those are all meant as primarily resiliency hubs. And so they would, you know, the, their battery would be sized uh, to provide about four hours of backup energy. That gives, you know, our line crews and tri-state line crews time to fix whatever's wrong on, on the system. So that's kind of to explain the situation we're in now. Um, your, your caller has, has sort of projected forward and moved the concept of microgrid from instead of one big unit providing for the, for the area, could it be distributed? And so uh, Terry was just telling me about this on the way up here. So Terry, what, you know, explain better what what i'm trying to explain there so so two things um i have a microgrid at my house i have solar system on my house that was designed within the policies of smpa i also have a battery bank at my house so during an outage uh, my battery bank picks up my whole house load uh, actually in the majority of it i have a separate panel for that and my solar system will contribute to the recharge of that battery if it was an extended outage but what the caller was referring to is the idea of how can individual solar systems on individual rooftops 
participate in the microgrid. And in fact, there is a, a technical mechanism for that. So when we ha we connect the batteries, excuse me, when the batteries pick up the circuit during an outage, every single solar system in town is going to be able to, to take its excess solar and contribute to the recharge of that battery bank by definition. So by code, a solar system has to wait five minutes before it connects to the grid. Well, typically when the grid is down, you cannot export your excess solar. Excess meaning the solar which is beyond which your house consumes real time. It goes dead by code because you don't want power flowing backwards on a deadline, potentially because electrocuting got, a lineman. You've got linemen working. In the case of a microgrid, especially one with a central battery system, the battery system simulates the grid. So even though the grid, which is supplied from 160 miles away in our case, uh, goes down, within five minutes, every solar system in town will be able to connect to the microgrid and export their solar just like they would as if it was the regular grid. So in fact, every uh, individual resident with a solar system will become a participant in the uh, extended uh, capacity of the microgrid. And this is something we're going to look to uh, formalize and incentivize. This is, this is conceptual yes. at this point. Yeah, and, and it's, you know. it's, it's a version of a, the, the current version of the microgrid we're looking at uses a central solar system with a central battery, but another version of the same microgrid might be a central battery and distributed solar systems, rooftop solar systems. So this is a, a, uh, a design pivot that we are going to look at in places where citing a central solar system may, may or may not work. So, in fact, um, the idea that the caller had is, is likely to come to fruition. Uh, the, the current lines, the taps, as he called them, to the houses will be sufficient to handle as much solar as can be applied on that, that roof since the lines are designed to carry um, that much capacity already. So it wouldn't require any additional infrastructure, but it would require some funding. And so to incentivize this, this is what we're going to look at as a possible alternative for some of the microgrant microgrid grant funding is looking at decentralized microgrid participation rather than centralized microgrid participation. It's, it's so from from our perspective like the what the caller described and what you described Terry is that's sort of aspirational you know if that was a if that was a touchdown then kind of making headway in that direction is getting these microgrids built like the microgrid you can't you can't do any of it without you know the microgrids. So that's sort of, not to mix metaphors, but first base. Let's get, you know, let's get uh, a little of the ways down that road and then we can, it opens up options for things like what the caller suggests. Right. So get good at microgrids and then um, advance our energy solutions. Um, is that, I will, I'm trying to think of an example of what you're describing just to make sure I have it correct. But like this would be something, um, say the town of Telluride decides it wants to be microgridded. It's sort of a large community to do that. There's not a whole lot of available land, so it's not clear where you would put the one enormous panel for that microgrid. Um, but you're saying you could stick them on all the houses and then have one battery? That's correct. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah, that is... Um, uh, a novel. It's, it's not a done deal, but it is a concept that's 
that's worth exploring. And not every house is, is, uh, you know, capable of doing that based upon shading, roof pitches, all that sort of thing. But it's an alternative to a central system. Central system, by definition, has economies of scale, becomes more cost effective, easier to fund. Uh, looking at ways to incentivize putting rooftop solar to contribute to the central battery is one option, or just doing completely separate solar battery systems, all of which are distributed without a central battery. These are all options right. that the uh, DOLA program is allowing us to explore. Interesting. Um, all right. Well, we were taking a musical interlude, so we will pull that back up. But um, on that note, we do encourage you to call with any questions or perhaps ideas. Um, Concepts, whatever you got, 970-728-4333. We'll be here and uh, we'll be right back. Sous-titrage 
are live on Kodo. Oh, we lost you. Well, anyway, it was time. That song was almost over. Um, caller, call us back if you can. Uh, we'd love to hear your question. You are tuned into Off the Record tonight. We're talking about solar microgrids, which um, there are a couple solar microgrid projects across our region. And uh, they have much potential for our um, energy resilience and independence moving forward. So it's, uh, we're learning more about microgrids. Um, again, give us a call. We'd love to hear your question. I'm joined in studio by Terry Schuyler and Alex Shelley of the San Miguel Power Association, um, Kendra Held and Kim Wheels of Eco Action Partners, um, and Angela Haas uh, over from Ridgeway with um, Protect Our Winters. Um, and we were kind of thinking that uh, I guess I guess my next question is um, sort of on that connection between our location here, our identity as mountain communities, and the um, necessity of microgrids. You know, what is the sort of um, pitch or um, cell that kind of gets the conversation going um, on microgrids in uh, mountain areas? Does that make sense? Yeah, I'll take that. Um, you know, all of us are here because of the, the places that we love and those are expansive mountain vistas or steep snow slopes or ice climbing or fishing or mountain biking or running a business that tourists visit because of this these recreational opportunities in, in the region and that's true of all mountain regions and we, we're very isolated, and oftentimes it's easy to live in a bubble when you're in these mountain communities. And, and uh, we, we hold tight to the things that we love and we're passionate about. And it's, it, I just want to say in this day and age, it's, it's with climate change looming here, uh, drought, forest fires, uh, lack of snowfall, all these things are going to contribute to real challenges for our regions. And resilience is something that we absolutely have to build upon. We have to use that mountain grit that we all have in our bones that gets us up to the top of the peak and back down and down the river, up the ice, whatever it is, and work together on solutions that are sustainable for our small mountain communities eliminating our reliance on fossil fuels that we inherited. It's a very imperfect system, but we have the ability to change that if we band together and we hear each other out and we come to solutions where we can put some of these microgrids and how we might adopt rooftop solar that's integrated in the mountain grid, like the microgrids like the last caller suggested. And it's just going to take um, us coming together and collaborating. And one of the things I really like about the, the microgrids is they're small little reminders. And the more reminders that we can drive by and see these photovoltaic systems that actually will provide us with power if the grid goes down, 
the more it reminds us, like, what can I do in my life to change my patterns to reduce my uh, de- dependence on fossil fuels? Um, what's it been like to kind of have um, some of these conversations in um, communities about microgrids and solar? You know, I realize that there have been varied results. Um, in fact, the community of Ofer um, kind of in a split decision turned down further study of a microgrid project there. Um, so clearly there is hesitation um, and difficulty in these conversations. You know, what, what sort of things are you hearing um, and, and how do you respond? So I'll I'll start on that one. I think the you know we are responding. We're a member-owned uh, organization, San Miguel Power, and so a lot of this conversation is happening because the the funding, as we've mentioned, is available from the state level, um, even from federal dollars. SMPA uh, has been responding to member requests, member communities who have adopted climate action plans, who have adopted resiliency goals, um, aware of these monies, came to San Miguel Power and asked, will you apply for these for these funds? And so being a member-driven organization, of course, we, we agreed. And so uh, with, with Terry on board, uh, working really two jobs, he was, he was you know, applying, he was he was acting as a grant grant writer slash project manager, and then he was also at that time still our key accounts manager. Um, you know, wearing all those hats, applied for those monies and was successful in bringing those back. So that's or a lot of them back. So that's a that's a success story in itself, but it's by no means, you know, uh, it's a beginning, not an end. So when you come to uh, like a town like Ofer, where we present, you know, we, we did it, we, we got the money, um, so we're all ready, sign here, and uh, we can begin the feasibility. Well, all of a sudden, there's a, a vote against, and, and the measure was defeated for that particular town-owned land. So what are we to interpret from this? We have a town who has asked for help. We have a town who is isolated on the grid and susceptible to whatever mother nature throws at us you know i handle communications for our power outages i remember the the last outage that hit ofer i remember the last outage that hit silverton and rico it's a stressful time and folks want to know when their power is going to come back on and we as the power provider would love it if we could bring them a solution where we said you know it's going to take us a while to make the repairs but you don't have to wait for that because your microgrid's about to come back on so that's our vision. And so when we get a, a, a vote, like what took place there at, at the Ofer GA, it causes us to step back and say, okay, maybe it's not a one-size-fit-all solution. You know, the folks of Ofer have, have spoken, and um, that's something that we need to hear. It's something we need to listen to. It also doesn't mean it's the end of the conversation. They still have those needs. They still have the resiliency goals and they've spoken about um, not being opposed philosophically to solar uh, and certainly not going back on what they've asked for. It's just that we need to keep listening. We need to hear 
uh, more specifically what they're looking for. So um, in that case, and really in all cases, it's going to be more of a dialogue. It's not going to be, you know, we're the big power company and we're going to tell you how it's going to be. This is going to be a process. And we stand ready to work with Ofer on alternate solutions. So I'll chime in that all of the governments in San Miguel and Uri County, both of the counties, have formally adopted our Regional Climate Action Plan, which has goals for greenhouse gas emissions reduction that match those of the state. Um, we're working on an amendment for Silverton to put in front of them in a couple months here for their adoption. So climate action plans with goals, with specific actions, actionable things that individuals can do that we can work on as a region, et cetera, are within that plan. The town of Ophir is part of that. They formally adopted the climate action plan. They also adopted a resolution to become 100% renewable energy powered. Our region is passionate about our community, our environment, um, protecting our environment, what that looks like and what it entails is one of the questions that doesn't always get thought of when adoptions of a goal happen. So I think one of the things that has come up in Ofer, um, as Alex alluded to, was kind of shifting perspective of what will work to meet that resolution and that goal that Ofer is committed to um, if our own town-owned lands aren't the best location for a microgrid that would power our community. Our goal with proposing the size for that microgrid was to power our town 100%. Maybe the right size goes in a different location and it's 50% and more homeowners put solar on their homes. You know, looking at flexibility versus just what kind of had to go into the grant application to make it a kind of solid grant application that would be approved and Dola is fortunately being very flexible with the renavigation of things as we have these community conversations. Um, but I think part of the perspective is also what Angela was talking about is we have these goals to become more environmentally friendly and we are seeing climate change happen here. Our temperature in Colorado is, has already gone up several degrees. We're seeing it across the nation, but even if we look just right here in our backyard, we're seeing the impacts of climate change. We're seeing less snow. Um, yeah, we might get big, massive snow years like last year, but it's warmer temperatures that then cause more avalanches. Um, that can cause all kinds of different destruction. So um, I think what we are hoping to do with EcoAction Partners is to help the communities engage and discuss all of the different aspects of what might an appropriate solution be that doesn't negatively impact the environment. OFER is a community in particular that is committed toward protecting, protecting the valley and protecting um, it from pollution or um, you know, we have a big, huge history of mining, just like everywhere else does. It's very similar to the, t the valley floor here in Telluride. Everybody kind of got behind protecting the valley floor. So we definitely don't want to propose putting a microgrid out on the valley floor. 
So kind of looking and identifying those other types of solutions and looking at all the aspects and knowing that climate change is happening right here, right now. And the longer that we delay, the more it's going to continue to happen. But that idea of local, I think, Kendra, you mentioned it during the break, people getting together, that's the benefit of these microgrid projects over, say, something like what was proposed in Norwood with Solar One. This is, this is us getting together, and maybe the first proposition isn't going to work for everybody. That's okay. We come back together, and we talk about it as a group, as a community, and we find something that will work. And that's that community aspect that I, I find inspiring, even, even in the thick of it. <laughs> it's not always pretty, but uh, I think in the end it can yield a result that is really the best of, of all. Yeah, it'll be really interesting and inspiring to see what comes out of your conversations in Ofer. I have high hopes. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Anybody else want to jump in on this question? Yeah, I'd like to just add um, one or two more things. I think I've been really impressed by how, um, how much I, I get to learn about each of these different communities that we work with, um, with EcoAction Partners. We are all rural remote, uh, mountain or mountain adjacent communities. And um, I think share many strengths in that and understanding what it's like um, to live here, the, the various challenges and benefits of living in this region. And additionally, every community is different. Every community has different strengths and different challenges. And working on the climate action plan, it's really fun to see how each community has different strengths that they can share with other communities. And so I think as we move forward in this process of figuring out what makes sense for each community, what does that look like? Like, can we visualize it? What is that, um, how does that change look like in our daily lives, in, in what we see when we look outside, um, how we feel? Um, I think those are all important things to pay attention to. And ultimately, it's a conversation, like Alex said, it's a back and forth. Um, but looking at the problem together and figuring out how do we move forward um, together and figuring out what that, what that looks like. And I'm excited for that. <laughs> and one quick shout out to Dola in this case. They're probably listening. But if not for the funding and the program they put together, we wouldn't be having this conversation. The same goes further upstream to these federal grants. It's the incentive that these grants are providing that is enabling us the means to actually explore the solutions as well as potentially the construction uh, grant money that would enable us to install these. So this is this is our, our larger governments seeing the benefit and the value of exploring this in order to help achieve the solution that most of us want, which is a cleaner, brighter future with um, you know, more sustainable uh, uses of, of energy, essentially. And real quick, for folks who are hearing this and who are like super jazzed and are saying, I want a microgrid on my house or in my neighborhood, um, what should they do? How should they follow along? Um, is there a website? Is there a, like a learn more number? Yeah, I will take that. If you are uh, that you are that Kodo listener and you're like, how do I get one of these on my house? Um, net metering is a program that we offer through SMPA. And you can find out all the information that you need 
um, on our on our website, which is at www.smpa.com. And under the energy, I have it memorized, under the energy tab across uh, the top, if you hover over that, um, you will see information on net metering. We call it, the term is net metering. So, so often with technology, it's just knowing what it's called, knowing the vocabulary. Um, net metering means uh, you have your own generation system in your home that is on your side of the power meter and you are providing power um, to you know to, for your own needs and so in most cases most cases not all but in most cases that's a, a solar panel array that folks have on their own homes and we support that um, and we can help you hook it up not only in support but have rebates for solar and battery systems correct very true I do want to mention one other thing um, solar power is awesome. Uh, scams regarding solar power are not awesome. And I hate to report, but it's true. There are scams out there. And so it's very important if you're cruising, if you're on the internet, if you're on social media and you see an ad pop up that uh, is an organization that you can tell is out of state or maybe even out of the country or, or, or whatever, advertising that you're going to save money on your bills. Do, do some homework. Go to the website that I mentioned. Learn about net metering. Call us. And I would also put a plug that always check local first. Check your, your local solar installers. They have been in the area for decades. Um, they have the experience and they have contact with us. I, I would, if you're excited about solar, I would definitely say go local on that. All right. Um, with that, we are um, over the finish line and in the negative for our time this evening. Um, Kim is um, twisting my arm at her so bad I'm screaming, but what does she have to say? So if anybody wants to become more involved in climate action of any sort, to contest, contact us at EcoAction Partners. It's 728-1340 or email at info at ecoactionpartners.org. We'd be happy to provide more information or engage you however you'd like to be. <laughs> All right, Coda listeners, thank you so much for tuning in tonight. It is 7 p.m., so we're going to give the mic on over to Rock and Rob. Um, after that, it's going to be Frequency Fusions and Telluride. So a fabulous evening of listening is ahead and uh thank you for joining us for this edition of off the record thanks for listening to off the record opinions expressed on this show are those of our guests join us again next week for another installment and in the meantime drop us a line at news at koto.org with feedback and ideas